Welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine, uh, and today I'm joined by Ross Connell. Hi. Oh, hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Ross? I'm doing all right, thank you very much. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. Um, so, uh, for those who, who don't know um, uh, Ross Connell by by this name, they may know him by uh, the, uh, the pseudonym of uh, More Games Please. I guess that depends if you're if you're on the internet an unhealthy amount of time or a healthy amount of time. If if it's the uh, <laughs> which if, it's, uh, which? if it's the former, which is me, then you may be familiar <laughs> with that pseudonym. If if you've seen daylight in the last couple <laughs> of uh, years, maybe there's a, the likelihood's a little lower. Yeah. <laughs> uh, possibly, but um, uh, and and how do how do you say more games, please? I I, I was sort of playing with it in my mind um, before I before i made the call and i was thinking is it is it more games please or is See, it yeah so <laughs> when i originally well, when i originally thought of it it's like to say like that was a coherent thing that occurred <laughs> makes it more grand like you know when you choose the name for anything um you can you can you can spin a story however you want but basically what happened is i was posting some photographs on instagram on my private account personal account and um and i and i thought kind of boring for my friends they're not really that interested in looking at pictures of board games because <laughs> previous to that i was always posting photographs of traveling and like exotic places and artsy stuff and i thought that's universal everyone likes that but not everyone likes to see like a stack of maples or some dice that's not that's not as universal yet we're working on it yeah. but it's not as universal yet um and so then i just thought oh, i'll make an account and i at that point in time my my collection was exploding i was just getting into the hobby and i was going through that mm. classic new person in the hobby on on looking at board games all day every day and in my mind i had this little thought of uh, oliver twist when they're going going up with the bowl and asking for more and i was that was basically my every day i was always like more i wanted more to play them more to talk about them more to look at them more uh, to have more in my collection so that's why i thought more games, please. But it is, and it is an Oliver Twist sort of um, approaching the, the the font of, I guess, Kickstarter or something, and saying more. And yeah, bit... I, I, I guess that's where the ideas stem from. But again, it's generous to, to kind of give it that, <laughs> yeah, okay. full, that kind of full breadth of it. It was just basically like, I need to handle more games, please. That was it was probably I spent about one second to five seconds thinking about it. it wasn't something that I spent a lot of time on. That was the first thought that came to my head. But sometimes. First thoughts are the best thoughts. Absolutely. Sometimes. I've, sorry, I've rammed this right down this cul-de-sac immediately. Um, and, <laughs> um, but everyone's, everyone's quite familiar with your work, even if they don't know it as well, because you are um, the man who takes a picture of every board game that exists. Well, if only that were true. If only that were true. Um, I, well, it, that wouldn't be great either, because I would be incredibly tired. And I'm already quite tired, yes. but I, I have taken a photograph or two, let's say. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's probably the, the main light. I mean, people will have seen your pictures in the magazine um, uh, almost uh, guaranteed every issue. There'll be something you've taken a picture of, I'm sure. Um, and um, uh, yes. And so um, I, sp- I meant to ask, I suppose, really, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Because that's only one facet of your well, only one facet of your. Uh, well, now uh, they know the Oliver Twist story. I don't know where else I know. Go. That's <laughs> that's all I had. That's, that's all I had in the bag. Uh <laughs> My my name's Ross, uh, as previously mentioned. I am uh, a man-child in my mid-thirties. Um, I have uh, done a variety of things in my life, uh, lived in a variety of countries, been lucky enough to travel a lot, and this is what I'm doing at the minute. I work full-time in the board game industry. I feel very lucky uh, you know, to be one of the few people that can say that, um, for better or worse, for worse for my bank balance, for, for better for <laughs> um, my own personal enthusiastic levels. It's not, you know, there's the, there is, you know, there is a thing that, you know, you don't necessarily always want to meet your heroes or actualize your dreams. And I think there is something to be said for um, getting to do the job that you want to do. It won't necessarily always um, pay as well as you would hope. <laughs> However, I love I love the fact that I work in the board game industry and I work for a publisher called Alicat Games as the community manager. I'm a freelance photographer and I do a bunch of just other random things on the side. It's um, kind of one of the ways that you, out, as a freelancer, you can make a living is to essentially staple lots of jobs together. And that's <laughs> how you make a cohesive wage packet. 
Yeah, that's um, yeah. You are you're kind of all over the place uh, in the best possible way. I'm glad you noticed. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you, you've also been doing a lot of um, really good streaming. Um, I was uh, I remember your your first I think your first stream or when you were doing like you were doing mock ups of the kind of like layout you're going to do and all that sort yeah. of thing. I yeah, just I remember looking going like, oh my god, that looks so much better than what I did the first time. It still looks better than anything I've done since. Um, and uh, yeah, it's all it's all really good. Um, I think there's a, a think with me, it doesn't necessarily, I'm not necessarily, uh, I'm a quick learner, but I'm not necessarily great at things when I first try them, but there's an obsessive quality that I think certainly helps when you're taking board game photography, because board game photography is lots and lots of little components that you move around a lot. I'll just give you an anecdote. The other day, my partner, my partner's a, a freelance illustrator and artist. And she's she's very enthusiastic about knitting, and she'd knitted uh, she's knitting patterns at the moment and sharing them with people. Um, and she'd knitted uh, like a bit of a sock, and I probably spent about forty five minutes taking. A, she's like, "Okay, just take a little picture of this sock for me." And I think I probably took about forty. I was there like forty five minutes, just moving little wool and moving little bits of thread and rotating it. And that's basically, I think, from I'm not saying this is how you get good at anything, but. This is how I've improved and how I've got good at, in my opinion, uh, taking board game photos is, is that kind of like obsessive attention to detail. And, and I kind of uh, that, that's my philosophy, for want of a better word, in kind of everything I do. And not to um, and not to give away your, your secrets, but would you, would you give people any any tips for uh, sort of improving their um, Instagram feeds when it comes to their board game photography? Well, I'm 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 happy I'm happy to um to share what I know. I think you know uh, not everyone. The way I'll be ahead of most people is they won't have the same level of obsession, so they might get bored and do something else at some point. Whereas I'm <laughs> fully committed, so I'll be here for a long time yet. Um, what I would say, you know, if you want to improve photography, lighting is one of the most important things. Mm. Like more than anything, more than how good your camera is. Or anything like that. A lot of people think if you buy a good camera, that will improve your photography. Well, to a certain extent, it will, but it's not. It's not going to be like a, like a. You know, you're not going to have a graph that's just like up, 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 up. The more expensive a camera, the better you get. You can. You, anyone has seen online. They've seen incredible photographs that are taken with phones or with you know with with anything. Um, if you want to take photographs of, of board games, largely you're doing that in an indoor setting. Unfortunately, as much as your eyes adjust really well, often. Um, cameras don't adjust as well to limited light, low light. So one of the best things you can do to take photographs of board games is to improve the lighting in the space you're in, whether that's moving the table closer to the window, uh, trying to get some more lighting involved, like maybe just a lamp shining, casting some shadows across the game. Board games are often quite physical, uh, not physical, quite um, physically present. So, you know, they're a three-dimensional thing if they've got miniatures. Casting shadows is a, is a really good way of giving depth to a shot. Uh, but if it's if it's cards or it's a you know a board, when you bring extra light into it, it means you can see uh, greater breadth of color. You can see detail, you know, in you know much greater detail. So I think like straight off, the one recommendation I'd give to anyone is try and get more light into the picture. And um, if you can, um, you know, board games are quite reflective because of the finish mm -hmm. on the cards and boards and things like that. Try and keep the light low or at least not bouncing directly back at your camera. So just think about reflections and what direction things come from and how it'll it'll bounce back to you so you know avoid the the shine and glare on things by pointing the light in a different direction from your camera for example yeah that's uh, uh that's that's pretty good and i think that um you sort of honed in straight immediately there on that um how do you make how do you make something um so tactile um look like you want to touch it in a photo because often you you know you might take a photo of something i do i certainly do it um for our twitter um, for our um twitter and uh instagram accounts where i've taken the photo and and yes it does have a little bit of shine on it or something like that um and you know i'm just maybe a bit old-fashioned i think it's probably all right but um <laughs> but <laughs> i mean it's it could... not your, it's not your job so you don't have to worry about it where i'm like wait a minute that card is 0.1 degree out of line so i yeah. should probably should probably readjust that yeah. that's true actually yes yeah. so you must spend quite a lot of time sort of uh measuring the gaps between <laughs> uh resource I, I cubes do it, i do it I, I do it by eye or it depends what it's for but say for example for people who you know if anyone's gone on amazon you'll see things that are photographed on a white backdrop mm. or a transparent backdrop which is basically means you can put it into adverts and different things like that 
But when I take photographs for things like that, I've actually I got a run of white card. That's how I do it. You can do it lots of different ways, but I have a run of white card and I've got um, penciled out lines drawn onto the white card so I can easily. It's not something I did immediately. I used to do everything by eye, which is just can be kind of painstaking. If you have like, you know, a grid system that's drawn on some card, then all of a sudden makes your life a little easier. You're not having to walk around from five different angles to kind of get the lay of the land. You can just do it by that. Um, but it depends what the photos are for. If it's more lifestyle orientated, and by that I mean in a living environment rather than mm. a commercial looking photo, then it doesn't really matter if it's a little bit squiffy because that's uh, life is a bit squiffy. <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, you, uh, you mentioned earlier that you were... Um that you uh sort of had an explosive moment uh of entering the hobby where you were sort of um really sort of kind of heard and i think of just like kind of supermarket sweeping uh around um <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh between different financially options. damaging is another way of it, phrasing it, it yeah it's very dangerous isn't it um but uh would you would you be able to give me your, your trajectory into the hobby because i quite like that one i'd like to know what well like what was your first like euro game when did when did it you know when did these things start? I um, I was really fortunate that uh, a, a friend of mine, like a mutual friend who I would also uh, qualify as being a friend, but like that's this how I got to know them as a mutual friend. They had uh, they 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 played RPGs and they played board games and they had a lot of different games. And there used to be an, another friend's house that we went around and we went around for like dinner and games one night of the week. And that was my introduction to the the modern hobby, you know. So when people talk about board games, there's often um, modern board gaming, which is anything I would consider 90s onwards, basically. And then there's like your classics, which were, you know, originally released in 1932 or like the 1950s, you know. So they have value, but they are old designs. So if you're talking about modern board gaming, I think about like things from the 90s onwards. Anyway, they would come around and they would just basically bring like a like a, a like a bag for life or like an uh, like mm. an as uh, an ikea bag just yes. full of different games and they just go what do, what do you want to play like what do we want to play tonight mm. we, we could play this game there's a game called lifeboat i think where it's mm. like you're all on a boat and you like you're basically bumping each other off to try and get the <laughs> money that's on this lifeboat as you're like getting away or you know basically a variety of like a variety of different games so that's how it started they moved away to london and at that at that point in time i lived in a in a shared house and i had like a a choice to make. I either thought I could get a console uh, so we could play video games mm. like as a house, but it's quite divisive. And it was a, it was a, it was a house of gamers and non-gamers. Right. Mm. And if you're, if you're well-versed in video games, there's going to be this big divide. And if you're playing competitive games, um, if someone's been playing board uh, video games rather for like yeah 20 years, they're probably arguably going to have an edge there. And I also thought it's less casual. Everyone's looking at a screen. Mm. Um, so I decided that I was going to do something that was more, we were talking and we were, we were, we were gathered around something and this was something we were doing together rather than being like two people are playing a game. Now everyone be quiet or watch or whatever. So I thought it was uh, my decision to get into the hobby was, was based on my living environment and to do something that would bring us all together in a way that it had done for me up until that point. And my trajectory was basically spend all day, every day on board game geek. If anyone's not familiar <laughs> with that website, it's, it's the Wikipedia of board games, basically. And if you're very new to the hobby, like I was, I'd only touched on, you know, a variety of different games, but I didn't know the breadth of the, of the games that were out there. This was something I'd yet to discover. And board game geek is how I discovered that. Also, you know, you've got your, um, I suppose your pillars of the, of the industry, if you will, there was, um, what was the Will Wheaton show called that he did that was um, t tabletop? It, was it, it tabletop? Is it is it tabletop or is it on tabletop? Or um, I think um, it's tabletop. I think I, either yeah, way, Will Wheaton yeah, did a YouTube did. series, but there was also <laughs> on um, TV as well. I think Geek and Sundry, yeah. which was him and um, like voice actors and actors that were playing games together. I used to watch that. I was entertaining, um, and I used to watch watch like show up and sit down reviews and yeah. read different magazines and things like that. So basically as soon as I got into it, then I started diving in to every avenue that was available to me to consume as much as that, because none of my friends were board gamers. So I had to find all of that somewhere else. And that was online. For yeah. That's interesting. I like that bit. Um, Cause you're not, the f you're not the first person to tell me that they kind of, they were a crossroads when one sort of had a, um, 
the, the glow of a um, PS4 controller, and the other one had um, sure. sort of just some dice and some resource cubes and mm-hmm. um, and lots of lots of cards, I guess. Um, and I kind of, I kind of, it's not, it's not fair to say this, but I kind of yeah. saw getting a console maybe a little selfish because that was what I wanted and what would be good for me, and maybe yeah. one or two other people. But I thought if I, I mean, like. It's, it's no point pretending that me getting board games, that was my hobby. Of course. That, no one else was asking me to do that. However, that was something that I introduced a lot of people to. And so my weekly game night, before the current circumstances, my weekly game night is former housemates and former housemates' friends uh, that, that come around. And they're my game group now that yeah. I've created myself based on investing, if you will, yes. in the hobby. <laughs> yeah. So um, so what have, you, what have you been playing recently then? I actually had to I had to have a little look at what I've been streaming because for me um, at present I I don't have anyone to play physical board games with. Mm. So I mean I always wanted to you've touched on it that I've done some uh, board game streaming but this year my plan was always to to stream board games. Mm-hmm. Other people have made a decision based on the current circumstances but yeah. I, I, my first stream was on um, New Year's Eve. So like mm-hmm. I just wanted to do I, I wanted to do this all year and circumstances have determined that I'm indoors more so I'm able to do so more, I guess. Um, but I would have been doing this regardless. But one of the reasons why it's been so uh, useful to me as a person is because I've still got to enjoy my own collection. It doesn't mean I enjoy it in a new way. It used to be that I'd be playing multiplayer games with people and board games were a very commune, communal thing. Um, so now I'm exploring games that aren't necessarily communal. They're more puzzle-orientated or solo-orientated play. Mm-hmm. So played a lot of roll and rights roll and rights are fantastic if there's just one of you because mm-hmm. uh, often the puzzle doesn't change much but i'm just looking at what i've played recently so i played dice settlers uh this week mm-hmm. uh, last week i played uh kokoro which is another roll and write game yeah. uh which used to be called avenue got rethemed um tiny towns you're gonna say something no oh, that wasn't no you, no you, you carry on <laughs> i, I played uh tiny towns i've yeah. played uh Twa dice. Twa. What's Twa? Go on. Troys. That's why. That's the. How, oh yes. Okay. Good. Because well, okay, this is literally what I because I can see it behind you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, and uh, I will say that I've got a um. I, I, I reviewed it for this this upcoming issue, which is on sale sure. later in later in the month, and um, uh, and I've always bounced off really really hard off roll and rights because mm. they've they've to me they they've always felt like a spreadsheet. Um, like doing a VLOOKUP by longhand. Um, okay. That's like it's always it's always felt like I'm doing um, I'm doing work for someone or something. <laughs> like, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's for me. Um, uh. But I will say um, that game is so good. It's absolutely incredible. I I can I can, fell completely in love with it. Um, and I've never felt that way about a. Um, a so that's interesting because for me, yeah, I thought it was okay but it's definitely not in my top five or top seven oh, really really i just thought so i mean different opinions could yeah, easily yeah. be which or or i've i've played more roll and rights than you it's, it's hard hard yeah. to know i i, I think I've probably 30 or 40 roll and rights now maybe even 50 um yeah. and so for me i thought it's got all of the foundations of a good game and i enjoyed it nothing wrong with it but it, it wasn't a game where i was like oh it's definitely one of my favorites i just thought yeah that was that was good yeah um, good. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I I really liked it because it had that. Um, it felt very Euro, um, and it was. Yeah. And it was, I will also say, I this this came off the back of. Um, uh, so I, I sometimes think about like the way we play games it ends up being like making a mixtape or something, you know, um, in the sense Love of mixtapes. That's something that's something <laughs> I also used to do quite a lot. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a that's an art that's been and gone. And also, people can misinterpret when you give them a mixtape. Like it's like it's a romantic gesture. And you're like, yeah. no, I just really like this music, yeah. and I think you should give it a try. I, but carry on. I, I, I yeah, I think this is actually the perfect order of these songs. Thank you very much. It's nothing. To- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people don't notice. People don't necessarily notice that you've got to start off start off with a big tune and then you've got then you've got to dial it down a little bit otherwise you're going to lose momentum you can't just keep building it up you've got to you've got to start big and then and yeah. anyway before, before we do um the entire script to high fidelity um <laughs> uh, but i think i think so i played um i'm gonna call it troyer's dice uh but you're, you're quite right call it, call it, i mean you're wrong but call it whatever you want. um uh 
I've, I've never pronounced the game name correctly. I um, mean, I, I, I am, I will also. Anyone who's listening would be like, Ross didn't even pronounce it right. Get off your high horse, Ross, and they'd be that'd be accurate. Yeah, I don't even have a horse, so um, uh, <laughs> that's um, why I'm so high up. Uh, yes, uh, I um, I played it immediately after um, or or the evening after playing um, uh, the David Turtsey uh, Tekkenu game. Yeah, so um, I haven't is, tried that. Looks interesting. It's um, it's it's great. Um, it's uh, a lot of front loading in terms of what you have to think about, but um, it has a the central it's mechanic. David Turtsey, right there. You <laughs> yeah, got there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of things you got to think about from the get go. Yeah, um, but then once you're past that point, it just um, it all falls away because you're never going to do one thing. So it's it's all going to be good. Um, mm-hmm. I I, re- I really really liked it. I think it's um, like one of those games that is like the uh, this is Techno, uh is like the synthesis of um, like I guess the last 20 years of heavy euros or something it's like this sure. is, we're, we're kind of at like the um kind of like really shiny triple a level mm. of, of these things um but in terms, but it has a, a central mechanic includes this um a uh obelisk that goes round and based on where yeah. things are um whether in the shadow or the light um affects what the effect affects how the dice looks like um, it's got fantastic table presence i would i would happily photograph that game i think it's huge it's, yeah. it's incredible yeah, yeah, yeah. um uh and um maybe unreasonably large board for what <laughs> for um what it is um but um but yes i, I felt that um um uh, Troyer's dice um, had. I think I feel it has a similar element to it of a a thing that goes around that's going to affect the dice that you're playing with. Uh, and I think for me that maybe maybe that tickles something in my brain of like, oh, I'm getting the same um, <laughs> thrill um, yeah. of of um, rolling some dice, putting them around a central uh, a central point, and depending on wh- where they are, um, uh, what, what they're sort of. Um, presented against uh, determines kind of how you. It's a, use it's it. a clever. It's for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. Oh, yes, we should do that. I know <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a. It's a clever. It's a clever system. Basically, in in Twa or Troy Dice or however you want to pronounce it. Um, basically, it it's got a cir- it's got a, cir- a circle of these little circular plinths, and they're split. And you play the game in in morning and afternoon, and you have a series of these little. I can't remember what they're called. I couldn't think that like a doesn't matter. They're like these little uh, c- small circular trays, and that's when you put the dice on. I think they call them um, plazas. They are. So the plazas, um, you put these transparent dice on top of, and the color of the plaza gives you the color of what that dice is. It's really uh, like a, a pleasing thing to see because mm. it means you have these translucent dice or you know opaque dice. And you put them, you put them on top of that, and it might be yellow, it might be white, it might be red, but the 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 dice, the the die that you place on top of it determines the color. But it, each round, this little, you turn this dial around, and it shifts where the morning and the afternoon is based on this circular, circular uh, game, and that's how you play it through eight rounds. And it just shifts this little dial around like mm-hmm. a turning clock. And there's something pleasing about that. Uh, I definitely agree. Like within that mechanic itself, that's that's pleasing. It feels mm-hmm. like there's a often when you play games. There's rounds, but in your mind you can't really tell the difference between them. When when it's physically shifting through mm. the game state, you you can follow. Oh, we're halfway through the game because it's halfway round with yeah. three quarters of the way because it's three quarters of the way around. So I think there's some a, a extra level of thematic connection, even if it doesn't really make sense if you think about it. <laughs> like there's an extra level of connection. Like why why would the sun hit the same town in different places? depending on the different date it doesn't make any sense but well, it, think, it still it brings you in I, I, um, but the thing i really liked about it is that um, there's a black dice as well um, which will um it will flip the plaza to yes. the other color so you get a randomness as well when you're when you're going round and like you may can you might start to consider whether you've got a chance of um getting the kind of color you like for the price you like because they're also priced mm. in a sort of marketed way as you go. but that black dice after the third round, starts destroying things on your sheet, um, yeah. and so you're so you really need to decide what you're going to protect because there is a mechanism for protecting different columns on your on your uh, player sheet. Um, you need to decide what you're going to protect pretty early, or whether you're just going to risk it all. And uh... so, one of the things that's interesting, I think, about roll and write games is when you play roll and write games with other people. You know, in isolation, it can feel a little bit like you're working on a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. But for example, I chose I choose often to stream puzzle oriented games mm. because then you're collaborating on a spreadsheet and you're working together going oh would it be yeah. better to place such and such a thing here or such and such a thing there and, and part of 
how I stream and the kind of streamer I am is conversational. It's like yeah. it's like you're looking over my shoulder and we're we're talking about well, what should we do there? So everything becomes semi semi cooperative, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe why I've enjoyed it as much as I have. And maybe I wouldn't see these games in the same way if I played them in complete isolation. Mm-hmm. But it's a different feeling when you're playing these games and you're basically saying, oh, I think this would be the right choice, but I'm not 100 percent. And people will say, oh, maybe oh, maybe you could do that. Or have you thought about this mm-hmm. and that? Often they're a lot smarter than I am, and that helps me play a better game. <laughs> uh, one of my one of my first testing streams for um, uh, for the magazine, which I did on my personal account, just to make sure things were working. Um, I was uh, I was playing along with um, some friends. Uh, I think we were doing Seventh Continent, um, sure. and that's that's a great one for what should we do, guys? <laughs> Shall we? Are we going to try and climb this and fall off, or are we <laughs> are we are we going to swim past the sharks? You know, <laughs> or, or whatever it is. But yeah, I, 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 I stream that and there's there's in the it's not really a big spoiler on the very the very start of the game there's a there's a there's a body and you're like should we check the body or not check the body and I'm not going to tell you what happens if you do either but that's a decision where you can kind of be like is this a trap there's a body on the floor what does this mean um, and then people have differing opinions sometimes it might be that they're not really trying to help you they're just trying to see yes. what will happen you yeah. do a thing but you know they just want to watch the stream burn uh, yeah so um. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, uh, this has this. Do you think this form of streaming has sort of become well? First of all, it's become quite normal for people in lockdown. But do you think it's quite? I think it's quite useful for people as well. I there's a lot. There's a lot of people. I say there's a lot. There's 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 a number of people who watch me. I couldn't. I'm not like a, a Twitch streamer with millions of followers or millions of viewers. But I can't view it like that. Um, however, the 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 people that do watch have said, and I also feel personally that it feels like. The board game community for me on Twitch feels actually feels like a community. It doesn't yeah. feel like a fractured group of people individually sat at home watching a thing in silence. It feels like a community of people who are discussing things, mm. that are taking part in something in some way. And I know a lot of people, uh, I get the same people watching. I stream mm. Mondays and Wednesdays. I get the same people watching every week. People have been watching me for months. We're talking thousands of hours they've spent in my company and and I in in theirs. And that is that's like that's like sitting around a game table with people. And I think mm. in a time where people are isolated and not necessarily in an environment where they have the you know the social outlet that they would hope for, I think that it's it, it's it's. I don't think I would say mimicked, but it it, it certainly um, gives the feeling of being in a social setting, even when you're at home on your own. It's the next best thing, isn't it? In some way, in some ways, yeah. And I, um, I've personally really, really enjoyed being a, a as a viewer. Like I love watching other people's streams because mm. um, it's you feel like it. it depending on you know the style of whoever is, is presenting i like people who are just like them and they're playing yeah. a game so you feel like you get to know them rather than them trying to be <clears throat> trying to be um a presenter i prefer people who are just um a version of themselves which i guess people always are but you know less slick um so it feels like you're getting to spend the time with them you feel like you're getting to know them uh, and i think you know then that feels like you're you're um you're learning something a little bit about them along the way yeah, I, I mean, I like that as well. I also like people making um, uh, the same mistakes I do when, like, maybe le- <laughs> maybe learning a game for the first time or something like that, and uh, running into the same sort of uh, uh, you know vague rule in the rule book or something like that. I think I, I, I scrubbed through one of your streams um, uh, just before the call. Uh, I think it was a dice settlers one. I think you were you were just oh uh, yeah you were just saying <clears throat> oh, oh, we've just got to our first uh, rule book check a rule book yeah. check after setting up. The I'm um, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the kind of person that I I don't stream to teach. No, you know, some not, people no. might say like you know I'm gonna this is this stream you can I'm gonna teach you how to play the game. That's not really the purpose of my stream. The purpose of my stream is I've got all of these board games sat on a shelf and I'm not playing any of them. I would yeah. like to play them, so I will, and you you can you can join me. But often it means I'm playing these things for the first time. And as much as I might have watched how to play videos, and I do in advance, and I've read the rule book, the the reality of actually playing a game for the mm-hmm. first time is you've got a you've got all this information in your in your brain, but you haven't really got the hooks to hang it on yet. Yeah, and that is, I'm a visual learner as well, so it's uh, until I first play something, I don't really truly know it properly. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's it's 
you know, you, you often learn valuable lessons when you first play a game. Mm-hmm. It teaches you how not to do things and it teaches you why you should be doing things in a different way. And so I often enjoy my first play of a game most, even if it's my worst effort, because I, that's when I'm learning the most mm-hmm. uh, about a game. And often by the end of the first play, I can say to myself, okay, I, I know enough about this puzzle now to know if it's for me or not. Like I've seen everything I need to see here. I know how it works. I know how it all hangs together. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. I can move on to something new now. That's right. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think we're at a point now where maybe I could ask you, Ross, do you have a top five for us? No. <laughs> uh, so... In need of the perfect gaming gift this year? Then look no further. Visit www.tabletopgaming.co.uk for magazine subscriptions and gaming gifts. Oh, I'm doing it. I've got a list. I'm here. I'm here for it. We're doing this. Okay, so... So I, you know, the no, uh, the no really threw threw me. I was just like, oh, he's yeah. he's he's had enough. <laughs> no, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some caveats in there. Art is subjective, so if you of disagree course. with any of these, you're wrong. But that's okay. <laughs> you're you're allowed to be wrong because everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, I tend to like games uh, that that are atypical. I suppose I don't tend to go for uh, a, a a standard fantasy look that is 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 probably more classic uh to um the industry so the the games that i'll list are uh, most of them are very well known for their artwork so if you hear the border uh, there's no real shocks on the list in terms of what i'm naming you'll be like oh yeah i've heard of that either you'll it's not for you but you'll you'll be aware of it and many people will mention it uh for its artwork so one of them is is root oh, uh, yeah. and um kyle ferrin who's mm. the uh who's the illustrator of of root I just love the whimsical uh, nature of his art. There's, um, there was, uh, when I was a kid, there was a book series um, by someone called, I think it was Richard Scary or Scary. Mm. I don't even remember that. There was, there was like a worm that had a hat and there was all of these different characters that lived in this town. And it was called like the amazing world of Richard Scary or something mm. along those lines. It was like a children's book series. But the point I'm making is it was like anthropomorphic, like you know, animals that were animals that were people clothed, going about normal business, um, and there was kind of like a a childlike style to it. And I hmm. find that with Kyle's artwork. So, Root is you know is an and I'm going to use some throw some board game terms out there, but I'm, I'm sure everyone will hang in there with me while I do it. It's an asymmetric like coin style game. What does that mean? That's just a bunch of gibberish, in a sense. So basically, it means like all of the factions have different rules to them, and you're playing as warring factions over this forest, um, and that's quite a, a heavy kind of style of game. But something about Kyle's art makes it whimsical and approachable to a much broader audience. I think it's brought brought a lot of people towards that style of game that might not have necessarily been there. So that's my yeah. first one. That's one. I, I think his um his art is also um. Uh, it's interesting, firstly, for like the color palette choices he makes. Oh yeah, because um, I think I think often you, you do see in some board games maybe some that aren't dealt with the same level of um, artistic intent as uh, Root Root was. Mm. Um, they're sort of a very generic kind of like sci-fi fantasy color palette that gets applied. Um, that's kind of like borrowed from The Hobbit, etc. Um, yeah. Whereas he, he he uses these very um, almost pastely colors i guess I, yeah I and i love I, I i love that i, lo- I love past like uh, in the clothes that i would purchase i would choose like pastel yeah, I mean, yeah i mean no i think i think that's right it, it was a great wardrobe choice uh yeah. <laughs> is root um, yeah. i also like the way um oath looks which is the next mm. um uh, uh game from uh Col- colin kyle i guess um yeah. uh, and that because that's got sort of a slightly more um electric um uh, color, color palette to a it. Like. More daring, a little bit more out there with the color choices, but that's a, that's that's a confident publisher when they yeah. can start to push the boundaries a little bit. Not that to say that vast, you know, a lot of purple going on in vast. That's kind of like mm-hmm. a, it's like a seventy psychedelic, sure, like kind yeah. of like you know, album cover to a certain yeah. extent. Um, which which reminds me of 
uh, Inish, which it mm. actually is yeah. illustrated by uh, by uh, the person who illustrated psychedelic album covers. Um, that's not that on my right? list. Uh, yeah, 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 the illustrator. Yeah, I mean, Innes is lovely though. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. But, he, but also, the illustrator of that did like, um, kind of like it's like Celtic art. Mm. If people don't know about, it. but Celtic art, if you may have taken um, a psychotropic uh, of some kind, um, so it's got that whole kind of like um, larger than life quality to it. Um, but no, I appreciate. Um, you know, there's there's a as much as I love board games, there, there can often be a lot of browns. Yes, and muted tones in in board games. So it's refreshing when board game art, like you say, moves away from that color palette that we're used to, and throw some of the colors in there to punctuate what you're looking at. And I think that that's that can be quite interesting and exciting. Uh, so my second choice on the list is uh, there's an there's an, an artist in the industry that if you if you're an illustrator in the industry, you will hundred percent know who this person is, and that's Vincent Dutre. Mm. Vincent Dutre, um, he's he's done a lot of different games, but the game that I've chosen on my list is Detective City of Angels. Oh yeah, so, yeah, the Van Ryder game. Yeah, so Van Ryder Games released a game called Detective Detective City of Angels, and that is like a a, a mer- like a noir mystery game where you're trying to crack the case and catch the catch the baddies, mm. right? He, and he uh, uses a a map of a city that you exactly, sort of move point right. to point. Um, yes. Uh, it's sort of like consulting detective meets kind mm-hmm. of um, more modern. Uh, well, actually, I think something like Detective Season One, I guess, somewhere yes, between there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, I think it's a more accessible version of those two games. Mm. The stories are shorter, so the like you know, uh, Detective uh, Portal Games version that you're going to be sitting down for hours solving these mm. cases. Whereas in Detective City of Angels, the cases are about an hour. You know, they're like shorter cases. Um, the way it works is it has like a multiplayer aspect to it. So one of you is known as the chisel and they're the person that has this information and they can choose to mislead people, red herrings, the stuff like that. Um, you can also play it solo, which is one of the appeals for me now in 2020 mm. is the fact that I can play it on my own. But Vincent Dutre hand paints every piece of artwork that he does. Mm. That's incredibly uncommon in the industry. Most people do digital artwork. Why wouldn't you? It's a lot easier to change and adjust. Someone can go, oh, can that be red? Or can that person have a larger nose? Or whatever, uh, you know, change they might have. I don't know why, you know, if uh, if someone who was creating a board game demanded everyone had bigger noses, but it could happen. <laughs> and, you know, if, you, you're, if you're creating artwork digitally, well, that's a fix. Yeah. It's on a layer. You take the nose off, you put a larger nose on, right? Yeah. Case in point, you're done. Um, but Vincent, he paints all of the artwork. So any game that you've seen, like Robinson Crusoe, Museum, mm-hmm. Detective City of Angels. He did the new version of Jaipur. He's, he's worked on lots and lots of lots of different games. Um, and he hand papes all of it, which is incredible. Um, it's incredible because how long does it take to actually paint things? Quite a long time, actually. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to wait for things to dry. Um, <laughs> you don't have to do that when it's digital art. It's things you don't think about. If someone draws some physical art, they can start drawing five different pictures. If you're painting something on an easel, You've got to wait for that to actually dry and then paint new layers on top of it. Anyway, um, his his style is is fantastic. It's 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 a, a realistic kind of style, but uh, you'll you'll if you if you own any of his games and you and you look at them, you can see you can see his signature style throughout. And I think he's an incredible artist, and I think he massively elevates whatever he lends his hand to. Um, so that's my second on the list. Another thing to mention with Detective City of Angels that map. The LA map that's in it is based on what LA looked like at that time. Oh wow! So there's an attention to detail, I didn't know that. that's which cool. I really appreciate. Another game that I own uh, that Vincent did the artwork for, Museum. That's about being a museum curator. It's got hundreds of cards in it. They're all individual painted illustrations of different museum pieces that you would find. Uh, whether that is kind of like slightly uh, fantasy oriented ones that aren't quite realistic, uh, or actual real things. Uh, you know, and that's again like every piece of every card in that game is a piece of art. Like it's actually a piece of art. Someone's painted that. Um, anyway, so that's an example of my second game on the list. Uh, my third game on the list, because I thought I should throw in some small box and some larger box games mm. to try and kind of you know something for everyone. Um, there's a little game that's lesser known called Herbaceous, oh, yeah. which is uh, by Pencil First Games. It's a little, very simple card game. Uh, it's it's Steve Finn was the designer. So if you've ever played Biblios or if you're aware of Biblios, 
He was the designer of that. It has a similar mechanic. Basically, I'll give you like a, this is easy enough to explain that I can. Basically, the way the game works is you've got a private garden. You're growing and planting herbs. That's what the game is. That's what it's all about. So there's a public garden in the middle and you got a private garden. Each turn, you'll draw a card and you'll decide, am I going to put it in the shared space in the middle or am I going to put it in my own private garden? And if you do one, then you have to do the other with the second card. And you do that back and forth. And after a certain amount of time, you'll decide to pot herbs that you've collected, either pears or all different or all the same, etc., into your own little herb pots in front of you. Um, but you can only pot in them once. So there's like a push your luck element of how long do I leave all of these fabulous cards in the middle that other people can take away from me before I decide to start potting things. And there's a fixed amount of each different kind of card. So the longer you leave it, maybe you'll never get all the ones that you need, et cetera, et cetera. The reason why I like that, that's got illustration by Beth Sobel, who's a really nice illustrator that I enjoy a lot. Uh, and it is each of the herbs are illustrated on the cards and they look like the real herbs, but they've also got these beautiful backdrop of color to them. Like lavender's got this really nice purple. Saffron's got all these yellows in it. Like all of it is very um, larger than life. It's still a realistic depiction of the herb itself. They are like, you know, they look just like the herbs. However, it's got this beautiful palette of colors that goes with it, which just makes it very pleasing. Um, and also teaches me about herbs. Yeah. Uh, I, can I just say, um, I mean, everyone who listens to this podcast is very familiar with this, but um, uh, I love gardening games. I think because they just give people, uh, and as in designers and artists, the opportunity to first of all basically create an abstract game that everyone's going to enjoy um, because everyone gets the concepts of gardening quite quickly, um, yeah. uh, which is nice. Uh, and then also artists get the chance to just go wild with um, uh, the design. And there's, you know, uh, we talked about you know medieval color palettes um, a moment ago, and there's we don't have to worry about that here. Um, there might be a bit of mud about, but you know, uh, <laughs> there might be a bit of mud about. Yeah, but it's very rare to have a gardening game that isn't beautiful, you know, in some way. Um, I would, I would love it if uh, if there were more gardening games. Just going to throw it out there, more games that were based around nature over um, combat. Mm. Now, if we're warring over who can plant the best hyacinth or something, yeah. that's that. I like that. There's something about that. It's harder to feel hard done by if someone's grown a better chrysanthemum than yeah. you they're kind well, of like oh that's the rose bed's better than mine i can't get too angry about it this is yeah this is a little subset of um game design that i like which is any game you play where at the end of the game it doesn't matter if you've won or lost because you look down you've made something pretty or uh, appealing to yourself or something that's yours in some way um that uh just um that you know there's more flowers in the world now brilliant okay i lost by um, 14 points whatever um who who was counting the points i was getting the most flowers that i wanted you know i like the red ones i mean you know? <laughs> arboretum is a good example oh, yeah. of that which is a great game to go play but it's also kind of painful in a lot of ways because the choices become increasingly really difficult yeah. um and that uh you have to be pleased with the arboretum you've made at the end because you've probably been completely destroyed <laughs> so you, ha you just have to be okay with whatever you've made yes uh Yes, the, uh, the 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 award for uh, most uh, uh, brutal gardening game is. <laughs> that is. Yeah, that one is really brutal. I love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. But that is, yeah, that is a a real stone cold killer of yeah. a card game right there. <laughs> Number four on my list is. Uh, I thought, why don't I throw in a new one? So I've thrown mm. in a new one into the list. Uh, Veiled Fate, which has very recently been on Kickstarter, which is a very high concept, high production value essentially like a social deduction game, but they've thrown everything at it. Mm. It's got um, a lot of table presence. It's got really beautiful artwork by a chap called Harry Conway, who's not really illustrated any board games uh, before. It's by IV Games. It's a publisher. If you've not looked at it, mm. check it out. Give it a Google. Uh, Veiled Fate. And that, again, has, um, you know, very unique style to the artwork um modern kind of graphic style uh it's hard to explain without you actually seeing it that's one of the problems when you talk about artwork you're like oh it looks like this this and this and people go i don't know what i don't know what that means i'll have to see <laughs> either way it's got a very unique um colors and it's got a very unique art style to it it doesn't it doesn't look like your typical board game and again that's something that always appeals to me when i look at something and go this looks new it may not necessarily look new in terms of what art is being created in in the wider world 
But when that bleeds through into the board game industry, it can elevate the industry by us moving away through the norms and what we used to seeing a board game look like and invite into, you know, into the picture different ways of doing things, which which can really shake up how games look in the industry. Yeah, I, I think that's quite important as well, because I think we, we have a, um, obviously it's a kind of very German-led uh, industry, um, mm-hmm. and therefore we've got this, um, an, an art style that actually hasn't changed since Catan came out, really, um, for, for a lot of our kind of Euro game uh you know staples uh, coming out today they look not that very very much different to um you're talking over 20 years 25 years and the games look the same and the thing is i want to make clear is i'm not saying i'm not really saying that i dislike the way those games look but i'm saying for me personally this is my own personal i like variety yeah so if someone if someone says to me you can play 100 games and they all basically look the same or you can play 10 games and they all look really different in terms of their visual style, I'll I'll be interested in that. I want I want that. I want to see the industry have different people creating different art styles and not just going, this was successful and this worked. How can we replicate that success? Well, we want to match the art style. I think, you know, people taking chances, which Kickstarter has allowed people to do mm. and put more money into the artwork and graphic design. Um, I think Kickstarter has completely shook up the industry and how things get done because first impressions are so important. Excellent. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, to, and to be clear, I, I don't have a problem with um, those those Being very be- lawyerish here, just poli- yeah. politically Disclaim- saying, disclaimer. Okay. If you want to send me a game, uh, I, I, like I, when because I run a, for people who don't know, another thing that I did because I'm obsessive type is I ran a, a website where I interviewed board game illustrators for for years, and uh, I never had articles with like these are the, my least favorite games. These are the ugliest no. games because what who's benefiting from that it's very easy to look down your nose at something for me i'd rather elevate what you like um and find common ground with people rather than tell them what not to like i think that's absolutely lazy to a certain extent yeah Uh, and and lots of people would argue well i really like the way that looks and and fair fair play to them yeah yeah there's a place for it anyway It it does also help you know when you're uh, if you're, if we were in board game cafes at this time, um, that when when the uh, the game comes out and it's got sort of maybe um, just a picture of uh, rural Tuscany, and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I know where we are now. We're going to be trading yeah. barrels of something. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's got a sh- it's got it's got a sheep on the cover, <laughs> absolutely, and a, oh, and yeah. a stern faced man. Well, you know where you're at. <laughs> yeah, you know where you're at. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Number five on the list, again, this, this won't be a surprise to a lot of people when they hear me say it, it it's Parks, oh, yeah. uh, which was a game uh, that was released by Keymaster. A lot of these, there's a common thread that runs through most of these games. And, well, all of them actually I've listed, they were Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. Um, Root was a Kickstarter game, Detective City of Angels, Kickstarter. Herbaceous, Beth Sobel originally created the artwork in her own time as a reskin of Bonanza. Mm. She just created... Uh, herb artwork that she that for fun and just put it on board game geek as like here's a little like side project i've done and pencil first game saw that artwork and went we've got a game we think that'd be great for um you know veil fate is a very recent kickstarter 15 uh parks was a kickstarter that um was was recent as well mm-hmm. well the reason why i like parks um when i did my most recent board game every year i do like which game had the best art of the year and parks was in the top five and people saying well they didn't know to vote for it or not because you might not be aware of this, the artwork wasn't created for the game. At least not all of it. The card art is part of something called the 59 Parks Project, and that is a a series of illustrations about the different parks, national parks, in the United States. And that was a a crowdfunded series that was done over a number of years where they would commission different artists to, to do posters for these different national parks around America and then sell those posters, and then they would crowdfund the next one. So the 59 Parks Project, Keymaster Games, which were ran by uh, graphic designers and people who are very design and uh, visual orientated, they, uh, you know, they've seen this project and gone, this would work perfectly uh, in a game that we've got in mind. And the artwork is fantastic. And, you know, it's it's artwork that was that was posters beforehand. So you know it's you know it's something you're going to enjoy looking at. If it can be a poster on a wall, then it can certainly, you know, look great on a card. 
Yeah. Uh, and, for, and for people who want um, a little bit more uh, uh, Parks chat, um, mm. they um, they should first of all uh, check out uh, anything you've written about it. But they should also um, pop onto our YouTube channel to have a look at the video. Okay, great segue. I know. Segway. I know. Uh, <laughs> Oh, now we're podcasting because we're talking about segways. Uh, <laughs> there we go. We've, we've made it. <laughs> um, uh, we uh, the, very kindly the um, the the, the uh, fine, fine folks at um, Keymaster Games put together a um, video for our uh, small virtual um, live event in in lieu of mm. our um, our uh, live live show. <laughs> um, Physical and digital. Let's go with that rather yeah, than yeah, rather sorry, than just say the word yeah, live more times. <laughs> <laughs> the live one instead of the live live one yeah, no, it's terrible isn't it following uh, us <laughs> um uh they, they did a very kindly put together a video um called um how to art like parks um which in which they sort of uh sort of meander through and have a nice chat about the, the art in the game and yeah i think that's a that's a very good uh addition to the list and that's five so that's that's i mean I, I could go on but i'm not gonna yeah there you go there's five Five. And what I like about them is they're, they're all very different as well, visually. Like there you've got Root, which is a whimsical, anthropomorphic, you know, kind of childlike. You've got Detective, City of Angels, which is hand-painted, um, but kind of quite realistic, but noirish, like this kind of 40s vibe. You've got Herbaceous, which is these herbs that are, also have these beautiful colors, pastel shades go with it. Veiled Fate, which is very modern, graphic-y looking. And then same with Parks, is very modern, graphic-y looking, but also kind of like looks like the 60s and 70s parks posters that you used to get um and if if i can add uh, a sixth to the list uh, and one that sits uh, on, and one that I, mean, sits... I guess i guess so but i'll i'll choose to veto it it's my uh, list absolutely so yeah putting, I'm not... putting numbers onto my list yeah i'm trying little... to staple it on the end show. but is 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 right behind you and it's um the second uh, edition of the king is dead oh yeah it's a nice looking game it's a nice look i really like that just anytime you stick a bit of gold foil on it that that'll suit that suits me fine Thanks. Thanks yeah. very much, guys. King, King is dead. That's an example. That's an example of a game I photographed. For anyone, anyone interested, <laughs> a beautiful photograph, uh, which I believe you can see in the next issue of the magazine. That's... There you go. Make sure you pick up a copy. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I mean, you know, it, I think you know when we talk about photographing games, um, just to skip back to an earlier point, what's advice for someone when they photograph a game? Try and evoke the theme a little more. Like, you know, like board games, theme draws us in, right? Theme makes us curious about it. That's why we apply themes to games rather than having just a spreadsheet of, of squares and cubes. <laughs> so if you, if you, um, you know, if you, if you try and evoke the theme a little more and you photograph, you, and that, you know, think what's interesting about the game visually, and, you know, you're probably likely to, to make a more appealing picture. Excellent. Um, so I, I think. That's basically a wrap. What what would you like to uh, promote? Um, world peace. I think oh. we should all. Uh, You're the first person to have like, done that on the podcast, actually. Well, well, there you go. <laughs> um, I think you know, in terms of what I would like to promote is um, everyone's going. Through, everyone's having 2020 is a rough year, right? Mm. So the things that I would say are support anyone who does anything creative. It doesn't have to be financially. It can just be by a like or a share. So, you know, if we're talking about social media, we're talking about podcasts, we're talking about YouTube, we're talking about things like that, leave a comment. Let the people who make things know that you're listening, that you're there, because they may never know that if you don't. They see the digits going up, but they don't know what that means. So a little bit of personalization to how you enjoy something, I think that's really great, especially for people who are isolated. Um, you know, if you are able to shop local, don't. Uh, try and uh, get things as cheap as you can. Try and support your local community. So, what am I looking to promote? Things that promote community. From my own perspective, what you know, what else can I promote if I want to sell myself? Um, currently, I'm I'm been streaming on Twitch. I've been streaming on Twitch all year. That's a community in itself, and I think it will benefit from more people taking an interest in it. Um, and so, if you wanted to check out my Mondays and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. UK time stream, um, that is twitch.tv forward slash more games. ELS more games plus someone stole the please so you know what can you do <laughs> excellent um and i think we can find you on twitter at, uh more games please more games pls again someone took oh, the someone took the for me. instagrams please my website's more games please.com if you're so inclined uh, thank you very much ross thank you